0: Eighth pitch of the plate appearance coming up for Manny Machado. With one down, last of the tenth. Machado to deep left field. It is high,
1: deep, and it is a grand slam
0: to walk it off. Manny
2: Machado is tonight's Andre's hero.
3: Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 40 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBalls Pod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls Hotline a call 631 820 7377. Happy New Year, everybody. I feel like, you know what? I really love the holiday episodes I'm finding out because there's always like a new exclamation at the beginning of the episode. Sometimes I'll sit here for seconds trying to think of how to open the show, but the season's made it pretty easy.
0: So you're in trouble next week is what you're saying. We're out of holidays now.
3: We're just going to start from the middle of the show. I'm not even going to bother with the opening. I'm just going to pretend like people <laughs> so people are confused and they have to rewind back be like, did I miss it?
0: Just open the show with a... But I digress. And then go into the first topic.
3: So there's been a lot happening this past week. It's uh, been the hottest stove so far this offseason. And before we get into who's been cooking the most on that stove, we, of course, have to talk about one of the other topics of the day, Trevor Bauer.
0: Yeah, his stove is not so much hot as it is loud and annoying at this point.
3: I feel like his stove is off, but he's just like, guys, this is super hot over here, like pretending to burn himself on it. But we're like, Trevor, <laughs> we can see that the dial is on off.
0: It is. And you know, what? like I, I go back and I listened to myself a few weeks ago and I remember I had him pretty high in my list of like free agents I wanted. I'm over it, man. Like, I, I really think that I feel like I've been duped a little bit. Like I bought into the whole, you know, he's selling himself hard and I guess I can't begrudge him that. But it's old now, man. Like, it it, it, it is painful. All this, oh, will I go here? Will I go here? And now I'm hearing, I mean, we'll get into the validity of this, but I'm hearing he wants multiple years and, you know, an AAV to rival Cole. Like, are you out of your goddamn mind? A team friendly one year deal, okay, maybe. But I remember even previously, I got, I got to recant something I said. You know, I said that I thought that he would be great for the New York market because he's so brash and stuff. After that last interaction he have with John Heyman, and I'm not a John Heyman stan, don't get me wrong, but it's like, ugh, come on, man. Like, you're just being a douche to be a douche. It's like a child. <laughs> the act is old. I'm, I'm over it.
3: Yeah, it's it's very much like any press is good press. Like, mm-hmm. and I can appreciate that, especially for a guy who's really trying to sell himself and make and create value where there may not be much. So I, I, I get it but now it's getting to the point of like, dude, even with his agent too, where they're now like nitpicking it and they're trying to start something with John Heyman and it's like, who is this for? Like, who's going to be impressed by this and the fans are buying into it. So it's funny that he's selling himself hardcore and he should overvalue himself, right? You know, that's how all these players should be. They should have that confidence. Plus, that's how you go into negotiations. You- well,
0: yeah, that's part of that's part of getting to this level in the first place, sure.
3: Exactly, and also trying to negotiate salary. Yeah. But fans are seem to be the only ones buying into that overvaluing. Obviously, I don't have any sources, so I am... <laughs> this, this is all conjecture, but the fans have now begun to overvalue him to the point where it's just that mixed in with him and his agent just constantly trying to be a story. The two of them, I can't take it anymore. I mean, today, someone literally referred to him as meaning Trevor Bauer, as a superstar. I said superstar. In Bauer's own mind, yeah. Yeah, like, I I couldn't believe it. And the person then was like, oh, I'm talking about any player. And I was like, well, first of all, you were talking about Bauer. Right. So you called him a superstar. (laughs) The guy has had 1.33 great seasons out of nine. The mental gymnastics being performed on Yankees and Mets Twitter to try to ignore the fact that he's 30 years old and he's been in the league for nine years you have people acting like as if the first eight years of his career were all minor league and now he's like <laughs> debuting for the first time. It's insane.
0: Yeah, no, they, they. it's at the point where they overdid it, you know, and I don't know if that's a function of they just don't have good self-awareness and they don't see that they're overdoing it or maybe they've been overdoing it the whole time and we just needed some time to kind of like get sick of it. But either way, I- I'm there with it. And brief aside, can I just say, as somebody named John, I took a little bit offense at that whole Johnny boy thing at John Heyman. Again, I'm not trying to protect John Heyman here, but you got to be close to me to call me Johnny boy. You can call me Johnny boy. That's fine. But like somebody calls you Johnny boy, a stranger. remember Johnny? Johnny boy? That is condescending as fuck. And I am not here for that shit. Like, come on, man. Get some manners.
3: Yeah, It, it is very much like just he's clearly trying to appeal to like the troll people online it's like people who are just trying to get a rise out of anybody and trying to start something it's like okay what are are these people going to help get you that deal like let me just say I want these players to get as much money as they can even Trevor Bauer I want them to be able to get as much as they can I don't want my team to be the one to pay him unless it's a short deal or whatever, but he's asking for upwards of like, like you said, coal money, 36 million per year, 40 million per year. Like, bro, how many games do you think you pitched last year? It was a fucking 60 game season.
0: And you know, what's funny too, is like, I, I was reading some stuff that like, apparently, and I don't know how valid this is, but Cashman not being interested largely because of the clubhouse aspect that he doesn't like loud in the clubhouse. And for all the good that's come with Steve Cohen buying the Mets, there's also a lot of unknowns now. So I don't know how they're going to handle their clubhouse like that. Like, do they see Bauer as something cancerous or do they see it as something to embrace? I don't. So I could still see the Mets doing it. And I'm at the point where if he signs elsewhere, I'm fine with it. I kind of don't care about getting him anymore. But if we do, for the love of God, small contract, one year, like see what he could do. But I'm I'm, I'm over it. I'm done.
3: I'm sure that he wasn't too happy, and he, I mean Bauer, to see the moves made by the Padres this week. So if you were listening, our opening was a walk-off Grand Slam hit by Manuel Arturo Machado in August of this year against the Rangers.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know his full name, so you're going through that. I'm like, wait, did I not listen to the right
3: opening? What the fuck is she talking about? Oh, oh you listened to the right opening. We played that. Opening this week because the Padres are making serious moves. I mean, they made a trade for Blake Snell from the Rays. They signed KBO star Ha Sung Kim. And they also just made a trade for Yu Darvish from the Cubs. So just like that, the Padres now become serious contenders for the division against the Dodgers. Now, don't get me wrong. The Dodgers are still the premier team in the West. Right. This didn't put the Padres over that Precipice, but I put them in the conversation.
0: You wouldn't know that from seeing how insecure the Dodgers fans are being about this shit, though.
3: Dude, so I'm sure anyone listening, if you guys are on Twitter, you've seen it, too. That, And like we just said, I'm not saying the Padres are better than the Dodgers or, or you know, main, I'm not even saying that they may even take the division from the Dodgers, but... Dodger fans are going out of their way to be like, we don't care. We (laughs) like it'll just be a post from MLB that'll just be announcing the trade. It won't even be comparing the two teams. The first comment underneath is from Dodgers fans being like Dodgers in five or whatever. And it's like, okay, this has nothing to do with your team at the time. They're just saying that they're just announcing the trade. And you're over here being like, we don't care. Newsflash if no one asks you or tries to prod you about it and you just, volunteer that you are nonplussed and you don't care clearly you care clearly
0: so this is interesting to me because i think that it's a three-part conversation and the prongs of the conversation are about each team involved right so the padres are the easiest one they're they're serious man they're in business they're going for it you know as much as they're able to and it's awesome to see. But it raises a lot of questions about Tampa Bay, especially Tampa Bay, and to a lesser extent, the Cubs. I think the Cubs, it's a little more obvious what they're doing, this is a salary dump. It really seems that way, it's seen, and we, we've talked about the majority of teams lost money in 2020, obviously, and this is how they're dealing with it, you know? And so it, it says a lot for guys like Chris Bryant is probably gonna be on the market now. Um, it's not gonna stop with you, Darvish. is gonna be getting rid of more guys. They've been what,
3: shopping Schwarber. I mean, I'm pretty oh, sure, sure they have been.
0: They have. That's right. And so I, I think the Cubs, it's a little black and white what they're doing. But Tampa Bay, I think that's – and I've seen some interesting conversations raised from this. Uh, there seems to be one school of thought where people support what the Rays are doing because of their history of getting the right prospects and developing them. But then the other side of it says, yeah, but what's the point if you're just going to get rid of them the second that they become too expensive – and you're just gonna trade them for more prospects. And is that a cycle you can ever really, uh, you know, like break out of and overcome to get to the promised land? Do you have a take on this? What, what, what kind of side do you lean towards on this?
3: I mean, I, I think it, it's pretty par for the course. So it wasn't surprising in the sense that it was like out of nowhere. It was surprising just because of the, the level of player that Snell is, right. but because it's the raise, it was totally on on par with what they've done in the past. And as far as whether it's sustainable, So far, they've been able to build a winner and they've been perennial for the last few years. Whether it yields a World Series, you know, who's to say? But as far as the fans are concerned, I don't think it's a great model because this is the first time. And and granted, I I haven't really been that tapped into Ray's Twitter if it exists. I, I see comments online every now and then. But from what I've seen, this is the first player that now people are like, what the fuck? I'm sure they right. felt that way with um, Evan Longoria because they did the same thing to him, that they let him walk when he got a little bit older, reach free agency. And But I feel like people could sort of maybe digest that because it was like the first big name from Tampa Bay that they let walk, and it was just one of those things. But now that it's history repeating itself and everyone's favorite player, the jersey that everybody bought now is going to be on a different team, and he's got three years of control left. So, I get that they wanted to sell him when he, his value is still high, they didn't want to risk it, you know, tanking and whatever, but as a fan, I don't really know how you can stomach this.
0: Yeah, and that that's what it boils down to for me is, you know, you can argue all day long about, well, you know, the system's good, the system works, but I saw some people making the point on Twitter, it's like, but you know, think about, think of the children, right? But seriously, think about the younger fans, who so it's like they don't have an opportunity to latch onto a player and grow up with them, you know? and it, You know, I I really, I really was given pause by some of the people who said that, you know, as you could say, the system is good all day long, but if it results in not being able to keep a guy like Blake Snell, that's not a good system. And I I can't really fully disagree with that.
3: I don't want to say I understand Ray's ownership and why they do this. And because there, there may not necessarily be a correlation here, but I've made one. Whereas on the other hand, Granted the Rays have good supposedly good local TV ratings, but they don't go to the ballpark. So, I'm not trying to say that the Rays don't make a lot of money. They don't make as much money as other teams and they I think they are on the receiving end of revenue sharing, but fans don't show up to the ballpark for years and then they get mad about players being moved, you know, prematurely in their eyes or whatever, but There is a level of like, well, go to a fucking game. If you guys are such diehard fans, and I get it, your stadium isn't located in a great spot. Do you think Yankee Stadium is located in a great spot for anybody that doesn't live in the Bronx? No, no. (laughs) it's not. But people still go, and I'm not trying to compare the product that you get in Tampa to the product that they get in New York, but there is a level of, if you want the ownership to care more about the fan base and about what the fan base thinks, You might want to consider actually going to games, maybe, one time. Not when the Yankees are in town. I don't know.
0: But, I mean, let's not lose sight of the bigger picture, which is that this just, it it adds to you being right about the Padres in the first place. Like, remember the whole, like, when Manny first went there, and everyone was like, oh, he's going there to die. It's like, nope, they're serious, and they continue to be serious.
3: Once again, as if a team that's a basement dweller would, out of nowhere, sign a 26-year-old to a 10-year, $30 million a year contract. And like, as if they plan, like, that's a funny thing is that it didn't even take a genius analyst to be able to realize that, like okay, the, the Padres are clearly building to something. But people still were like, oh, yeah, Manny, he just took his money. He can't handle the spotlight. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He was great in the NLE, in the AL East, and then he went to the Dodgers before he went to San Diego. He
0: can't handle the spotlight as the spotlight just slowly moves west towards San Diego.
3: And other teams obviously showed interest in Machado when he was a free agent. So the fact that he ended up signing with San Diego clearly meant that, okay, they sold him the dream. They sold him the future. And they're making good on it. I mean, the Phillies did the same thing with Bryce Harper, and now the opposite is happening, whereas the Padres are still all in. And they're making moves, and now they just made so many moves that they're set to make a serious run for a while because Darvish has three years, I believe, three or four years left on his contract. Snell's got three years of control, and um, I'm not sure what the deal looks like with Kim. I don't think it's been released yet, but I would imagine it's going to be a few years. So sky's the limit for them. And then when Clevenger comes back in 2022, their rotation,
0: unreal. And, you know, because the New York sports media and Twitter sphere believes that everything revolves around New York. Of course, the big takeaway from this is that the Padres are making the Yankees and the Mets look bad this offseason, apparently.
3: <laughs> it is oh, it is really funny because Yankees and Mets, and I get it, but They want the team, they think the team should make every single move. Any move that any other team makes, it's like, well, why didn't the Yankees and the Mets do that? And it's like, well, look at the move and does it make sense for your team? Where are all these people going to fit? It's like as if the teams should just clear out and then just fill it with free agents and trades into the next season.
0: I think it's the mistake of it has the appearance of being a zero sum game in that, you know, a player can't play for two teams, but it's not really a zero sum game because. Needs are different. And there might be like certain examples where it's zero sum, like, you know, two teams are vying for a player. He can only go to one or the other. But you can't look at the offseason as a whole, as every single player you're in the running for and you're going to get and you lost out on him. That's that's not how this works. You know, it's just not. And it's all optics. And we talk about the eye test all the time here. you know
3: <laughs> yeah i mean the reality is mets i can't speak for but there was n- no chance in hell that the rays were going to deal Blake Snell to the yankees that was never going to happen never in a million years
0: And you know know what, exact same for the Mets too And Cohen even tweeted as much You know, he kind of It was a little snarky, I really dug it He kind of was like, listen, everybody calm down Like basically, I'm paraphrasing But basically saying, what did you expect We don't have a farm system Little shade at Brody Van Wagenen right there I very much enjoyed that You know, kind of saying like, hey man, good for the Rays If we had the farm system, hey, maybe we would have been in that too But we don't have the draft capital You know, so we got to go for free agents It just is what it is And I'm glad, you know, of course, there's still some fans chirping back at him. And he went back and forth a few times. He sarcastically told some guy he should be, like, his chief of information and shit. It's so fucking funny. But, yeah, just take a breath, man. Like, not every single player is for your team. And that goes for the Yankees and the Mets and all the other 28 clubs, to be honest.
3: And before we get into our next segment... What was really funny, I saw um, Foolish Baseball, which is an awesome Twitter account, if, if you guys don't follow it, this guy Bailey, he's the one who makes those baseball bits, 8-bit videos, which are amazing. But he had a funny tweet the other night after the Snell trade that said that in 2019, December of 2019, the Rays traded Tommy Pham to the Padres for a few slapdick prospects, <laughs> and Snell had something to say about it, just talking about how he couldn't believe it and was upset about it. Then flash forward a year, December 2020, and Snell is getting traded for Slapdick Prospects. <laughs> Cue the Curb Your Enthusiasm music. Just side
0: note, Slapdick is way underused as a term. We should bring that back. Slapdick. It's better than Slapdash.
3: So much to the end of fans, you know, wanting their team to make moves and chomping at the bit, especially when they see something happen like what just went down in San Diego this past week. It got me thinking because on Twitter, a lot of Mets fans and particularly a lot of Yankees fans were longing for the days in the past. They don't necessarily specify every time, but just they say that, you know, oh, in the past, George Sr would have, you know, made this move and the Yankees made a lot of moves in the offseason but now they don't do it anymore. So that really got me thinking. And I wanted to see what what did the offseasons look like because I couldn't remember off the top of my head besides, you know, a big signing here or there. So after 2004 where the Yankees were sort of on the still coasting, probably on the the outside edge of that dynasty from the late 90s, early 2000s when they lost in embarrassing fashion to the Red Sox and the ALCS. That offseason, straight to the 2008-2009 offseason, which is obviously the offseason right before 2009 season. I wanted to see what sort of moves were being made and if there was some validity to fans saying that the Yankees used to do a lot back in the day, now they don't.
0: Time to take off the rose-colored glasses, people.
3: So, Obviously, I did the Yankees for this.
0: Obviously, I did the Mets with their most recent World Series championship.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, the reason John was gonna do the Mets leading up to 2015, but the reason he didn't is because then we realized that the Mets sort of fell ass backwards into that World Series, that it wasn't something they built towards and wasn't something they really built on afterwards either.
0: Okay, I'm not crazy about that phrasing, but yeah, let's move on.
3: They tripped ass forward into it. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, that's, that's way better.
3: So I researched the shit out of this. I'm not going to lie. I realized that baseball reference, you can look at every single transaction that went down in every offseason or the entire season, really, from, I didn't go further back than 2004, but it was really comprehensive and a lot easier than I was expecting. I thought that John and I were going to have to be like at the microfiche in the fucking library, <laughs> combing through
0: articles. Hey, honey, you want to know who really killed JFK?
3: Honey, uh... And after everything that I went through, the takeaway for me really was that it was a different circumstance in that, like I just said, that the old guard was sort of being moved out. So after the 2004 season, the Yankees, between then and 2008, they didn't really do much besides, like, you know, re-signing Pettit or re-signing Rivera or Posada and then picking up a few utility guys in there, a few relief pitchers or even some starters that were not really anyone of note didn't make a difference because during those years they were still winning 95 plus games and they won the division or finished second in the division so not much had to be done to the team there was no reason to add or or make a huge purchase of a player because they were able to get to the tournament with room to spare so when that's the case if it ain't broke don't fix it Now we get to 2008. The Yankees were horrible. They had a record of 89-73, and and they finished third in the AL East. They did not make the playoffs that year. So this offseason, it was basically the Cashman, Steinbrenner, they sat down and they said, okay, we can make a run for it in 2009, but they had to make a lot of changes. They had to get some pitching. They had to do this. So that was a year that they did it, but that's because their team before that was not even a playoff caliber team they couldn't even get to the playoffs so that means that there's a lot of overhaul that has to happen and in that offseason between november 13th of 2008 and january 6th of 2009 the yankees made a trade for nick swisher they signed aj burnett they signed cc sabathia and they signed mark teshera which this is obviously a huge offseason and They won the World Series that next year because of these moves. So now when you take that and try to apply it to now, 2020, 2020, does anyone ever call it that? (laughs) If you look at it, the Yankees don't need to rebuild like that. So I know that they need another starting pitcher. They're probably going to re-sign Paxton or Tanaka or something like that. But their bullpen is solid. Their lineup is stacked. They're pitching. They need to fill some holes until Severino is ready to come back. They have Davey Garcia, they have young talent. And when you look at the roster for 2009, that is what the team was. It was a bunch of young pitchers who weren't ready in the years before that, but now they were ready to make an impact, and they did. That was, you know, Jabba Chamberlain and Phil Hughes and guys like that who petered out afterwards, but that's hindsight bias. We didn't know that at the time. So we have that now. They signed Cole. That was the big arm. They're going to sign one other guy, I'm sure, maybe another, maybe one or two. But they have the young pitching talent coming up. They have the lineup. So I don't really know what people expect. There's no reason for this offseason to be a blockbuster offseason for the Yankees because there's no one else that they can sign that's available that is going to suddenly catapult them into being able to win a World Series.
0: All right. So I, uh, as we mentioned earlier, I was going to take a look at the Mets, but but then I didn't because I realized that it wouldn't be as good as some other options. So instead I took a look at the 2016 Chicago Cubs, a little less of a personal investment than Emily had in hers, but here we are. Okay, so (laughs) my big takeaway from this was the Cubs didn't see their opening coming until it was there and then they went all in. Now, what do I mean by that? I went back as far as 2012 to the 2011-2012 uh, offseason. So you could see the very, very beginnings of it when they traded for Anthony Rizzo after his rookie season uh, in San Diego, right? Rizzo, actually, that was something that I wasn't aware of. I thought that Rizzo was part of that group of guys that came up and helped get them there. No, he was actually a trade. And I also, did too. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you have that. And then uh, Travis Wood was also from that offseason. Uh, 2013. There was nothing notable towards the championship. So you can kind of see like they were not, they didn't see it coming at this point yet. They had some prospects in the pipeline. Their farm system looked good, which we'll get into in a second, but it wasn't quite there yet. 2014, they got Kalish for the first time, Chris Coglin, Jason Hamill. Again, baby steps, but they're not making the moves yet, right? So now we hit 2015. This is when things start to get going. That offseason in November, they traded for Tommy Listella. In December, they traded for Miguel Montero. Also, they signed John Lester and David Ross that offseason. And then the big one was in January. They signed Dexter Fowler, Uh, I'm sorry, they traded, excuse me, they traded for Dexter Fowler uh, in 2015. So this was the beginning of, okay, we're starting to build up. And I think the reason why is that homegrown core was starting to get ready. Bryant, Schwarber, and Russell all came up in 2015. And uh, Javi Baez had only been playing a year prior. He started in 2014. So then you could see in 2016, after they they saw what those kids could do in 2015, they saw the window. And we talked about this earlier with the Cubs. It was a little bit, I want to say maybe a little bit of panic to the proceedings too. Because remember, at that point, they hadn't won since, what was theirs, 1908? Was that that one?
3: It was in 2016. It was 108 years since our last one. So, so yeah, I think one. Yeah, 1908, right.
0: So the Cubs ownership, in, in my opinion, saw that as like, oh shit, this is our possibly one and only chance. We got to do this now. And the 2016 offseason reflects that. On the same day in December, they signed Ben Zobrist and John Lackey. So you got your infield and your starting pitching needs there. Uh, a week later, they signed Jason Hayward for the outfield and then this is where it gets interesting fast forward to february 2016 this is where they brought some guys back so like dexter fowler had signed a one-year deal the year before they re-signed fowler chris Cochlin had signed on in 2014 they re-signed Coughlin. they re-signed ryan kalish so 20 2016 that offseason was where they really put the pedal to the metal okay we got brian Schwaber, Baez, russell they made the appropriate trades and that was also an interesting thing for me too is you know we're putting all this weight on uh, the off season in terms of free agency, a decent number of the guys on the team that made an impact were mid season trades too. So that was an important point of perspective for me was don't put all the weight on the off season with free agents and trades because it, it happens just as much during the regular season as well.
3: Yeah, Chapman. That's how the Yankees got Clay exactly. Torres because they needed that last piece of the puzzle, which was the closer, and they were willing to trade high for it. So they right. traded their number one prospect for Chapman for six months of Chapman because then he became a free agent and the Yankees resigned him. But when you haven't won in 108 years, you got to fucking go. You got to
0: go for it. hundred percent. And you, know, another takeaway, maybe a little bit less serious, but in the vein of, uh, you know, everybody collectively take a deep breath, just going purely off the patterns for the Cubs in 2016 and 2015, both years, we have a flurry of activity in early December, early to mid December. Hmm, that sounds kind of vaguely familiar, doesn't it? And then nothing For all of January, most of February, and then at the end of February, beginning of March, is that next wave of significant signings. So everybody panicking about not getting your guy in December, only half of the big guys seem to go in December. And again, this is very microcosmic. This is just looking uh, at building up to the Cubs 2016 championship. But if we're going to use that as an example, this stuff is spread out over the course of the entire offseason. You can't freak out in December because teams are not made in December and World Series are not won and lost in December. They're just not.
3: And I I think that's what's another tough pill to swallow as far as being a fan is concerned is that even though 2020 happened in a a short burst, 60 games, but anything that happened in 2020, no team is making moves based on outcomes from 2020. It's just not happening
0: and Trevor Bauer is very sad at that fact.
3: Yeah, he's going over overboard trying to make trying to force it into the the conversation, but think of 2019 and think of your team's needs from 2019 forward. That is really what teams are basing moves on. 162 game seasons. They're not going to say, "Oh shit, we don't, we didn't make it to the World Series in 2020, so we need to retool." It's like, "No, that's not happening." That's why teams were just sort of like Resting on their laurels, knowing that they're going to get to the postseason because half the league does. So forget 2020 happened and do not use it to try to gauge needs for your team. It's just not what's happening in front offices right now. Something, something, small sample size, something, something. I digress. So before we get into the voicemails, I just wanted to take a moment to congratulate my co-host. John, he won our fantasy football league this year. He repeated two years in a row, he's now doing various poses like Heisman poses, I don't even know. I'm like football people poses.
0: Uh, Mr. Atlas, but keep going.
3: He absolutely crushed his competition and he did so by taking looking at the needs of his opponent and then going and getting the players that he thinks his opponent would get. And it worked. He won. And can you tell them about the petty screenshot?
0: Oh, uh, this, this was great. So first off, I know that it worked because he complained to me that I took the players that he wanted to take. Sorry, bro. Should have had a better waiver position. But yeah, so the guy that I lost to, I should say, I won last year as well. So I have now joined the two-timers club. I am a repeat champion. And what made it even sweeter is five years ago, I lost in the championship game to my good friend, Joe, who I, whose ass I kicked this previous week. And if you thought that I let that go by without mentioning it, uh, you should listen to more Breaking Balls, because I took a screenshot, I sent it right to him, and I rubbed it in his face that I stole his running backs. He dropped, get a load of this, any of you football people, so you know George Kittle was on the IR for like half the season. He drops George Kittle the week before the championship game, and he's just sitting there on waivers. So I scoop him up for an easy 13 and a half points on my way to kicking his ass. It was just very satisfying on that level. It felt good to be petty. It felt good to win. Uh, is this what it's like being a Yankees fan?
3: Yes, and oh, I gross. I love the petty screenshot because I actually have a photo album in my camera roll on my phone titled "Petty Screenshots" of <laughs> various screenshots from conversations on the internet, text, whatever that I'm like, this is gonna this is gonna come back to roost, and I'm gonna be the one to do it.
0: And listen, I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, you made it to the third place game and everybody, she's she had a good showing, but her opponent had Alvin Kamara who put up like 55 points. It just wasn't going to happen. So you, you did a really great job for your first uh, for your first year with us. And uh, I look forward to the three-peat next year.
3: Not if I have anything to say about it. Not if if I and auto-draft have anything to say about it, because that's a shout-out I have to give. I auto-drafted. It drafted an amazing squad, and it was great because people in our league that we're friends with, they like go all in with oh, yeah. being the manager or the, the GM, rather, We should clarify, sort of like overmanage. We,
0: we don't play for money. This is just for bragging rights, which is way more brutal than money in my friend's group. It, it, is, it is dirty.
3: Yeah. Keep your $20 a person in your pocket. I just want to be able to, for a year, yep. act like a pompous dick whenever we're around <laughs> each other.
0: Now, actually, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Before I beat you in fantasy football again, we have a whole nother fantasy season to get through. (laughs) Am I right?
3: That is true. Uh, Gentleman Ed on Twitter, he messaged me and asked if uh, John and I would like to participate in his fantasy baseball league this year because it's a dynasty league and some of their owners had dropped out. So John and I swooped in. We took some teams and... I am very ready to beat everybody in that league, including my dear co-host slash cousin slash best friend, John.
0: And I also just have to say, I'm pretty proud of the team name I picked. I am the Fightin' co-hosts and uh, Ed McMahon is my mascot. So I'm, I'm pretty excited.
3: I, I'm the designated haters.
0: Hate, <laughs> hate, 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 hate.
3: So now without further ado, let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Bubak.
1: Yo, what up, kiddos? It's Ubok. Uh, You know, it's been a while since you've heard my, my Jesus and Fergie-like vocals, and, and I apologize for that. I've been in a funk, but uh, I'm back. Stronger than ever. We're good to go. Christmas sucks. Weird fi- weird family dynamics, you know. It's just it, it, it's how it rolls. So it's a new year. I'll get to that later. But as they say, the past should stay in the past. Well, I'm here to say, fuck that. Last week, uh M made a comment about uh the Indians and people getting mad about the Indians changing their name. Um and you mentioned that did anybody get mad when Fleet Bank changed to Bank of America? I did. I was furious. And just like when uh Radio Shack decided to change the shack. They fucked that up. Or how about when Charter changed to Spectrum? But they're really charter, but they're not really charter, but they are charter. Or Dotson changed to fucking Nissan. Good God! This place, this world, God! I'm sorry, that was a that was too much. It took it out on you. And then moving on, on behalf of all the girl dads out there, uh, I I want to extend a big I never ever ever play Let It Go again, please. I have three girls, I have to listen to Let It Go and Frozen Disney sexual innuendos all the fucking time, and I hate it, and I come to break balls land, breaking balls land, to get away from it all. And then I don't because you guys are singing, let it go, let it go. Good Lord, that song, not. So that's it. Just a few things here. And then uh, one last thing here is uh, if you haven't watched Under the Grapefruit Tree, the C.C. Sabathia story on HBO Max, I suggest you go out and check it out because it's phenomenal. My love for C.C. C. Sabathia is, uh, is that of, of M's love for A-Rod and cats so that shows you that it's cc's a big big thing to me uh and it's a it's a great it's a good watch go out watch it kiddos have a great year i've wasted a lot of time here of mumbling and nonsense have a great new year hope you had a great christmas keep it up kids bubock out
3: bubock i am not gonna lie to you when i saw the notification that we had a voicemail the other day, and I went and I saw that it was you. I was psyched. I, I texted John and DJ Benjyten, and I was like, "He's back, everybody!" And that voicemail was fucking awesome. That may be one booed of he's back,
0: ladies and he's gentlemen. Booed
3: back. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <God. laughs> Oh, that was a rough one. <laughs> that was, but that voicemail was amazing. Um, I don't even know where to start. Maybe with "Let It Go." About that's where I go. wanted to
0: start because. First off, listen, man, I dig using breaking balls for a little bit of escapism, but you got to remember what we do here. We also hit you up with a solid dose of reality, man. I mean, this. I mean, I'll, <laughs> it doesn't
3: I get say, more real than an ice princess. I was
0: just going to say, it's so funny. I fully believe him that he is just so sick of that song because he's at the point where he's nitpicking the sexual innuendo. And apparently, I I don't. I I don't think I've even heard the full song because I haven't seen the movie. But if you're picking apart on that level, suffice it to say, you you have seen it too many times. I feel for you, bro.
3: And I also feel for you, just letting out all of your frustrations. You had a tough month, you said. So this is where this is the time to do it. You know, DJ Bingington, he's gonna put the volume controls on it. So those. Screams aren't going to blow out people's eardrums, but this is a safe space for you, Bubak. That's what I'm saying. Stretch
0: out on the couch. Tell us about your childhood. You know what? Where, where did all this start?
3: And I have not seen that CC Sabathia documentary yet. I don't have an HBO Max subscription, so I'm going to have to um, panhandle for one or ask DJ Bingington to download the uh, documentary so we can watch it. Wow, that is so very illegal. He's not doing that and i'm sure i'm gonna love it i fucking love cc he's one of those guys that you just can't hate him when he's on your team you can't he's just that guy
0: how many fans do you think we would lose if we used that cc doc as an instant replay and just made fun of it the whole time oh my god we'd be canceled (laughs) for life
3: i never i would never be able to do it i mean i couldn't even do it for for the love of the game the other night so i'm definitely not doing it for the documentary
0: wait you watched with Wow, without me, without your trusty co-host, unbelievable.
3: Well, and unbelievable. I, ha- I had to do a show of good faith to Anthony, one of our longtime listeners, because I have absolutely crushed some of his favorite baseball movies, so I had to show him, hey, I can enjoy these movies too. And it was very enjoyable. It is has a, a high rewatchability.
0: And best to keep me at a distance when you're trying to do that, I understand. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard.
3: Bubak, thank you so much for your call, and welcome back into the fold. Our next voicemail is from Spaceman.
0: Yo,
1: M, it's your favorite boy down in Houston, Mr. Spaceman. I was curious what you thought about the uh, playoff format in 2020, particularly the multi-game uh, wildcard round. Uh, I thought it added some depth, and I always like more baseball. You think they'll keep it that way or go back to the old ways? Peace.
3: I loved the format just because, like you said, it was more baseball. It was exciting. Um, I have hated the wild card playing game as it is. I think that whoever the fourth team is in a league that doesn't win their division but has the next best record should just be in the playoffs. I hate that they play the one-game playoff to get in with the second best team. But this format didn't really deviate from that. Three-game series isn't isn't really that much anyway. It's not like you definitely get the best team, but it was enjoyable. It was exciting. It was like 30 baseball games in a day. Do I think that they're going to keep it going into 2021? I'm sure the owners definitely want it. I'm sure the players don't want it. Um, I don't think they keep it or it gets used as a bargaining chip by the union for the collective bargaining agreement. So I, I don't think it, we'll see it in 2021, but who knows if we'll see it in the future.
0: I think it's the same thing as the DH. We're not going to get the DH because they're saving it for, uh, for a bargaining chip for 2022.
3: For sure. Spaceman, thank you so much for your call. And our next call is from Jerry. Yes, Jerry Dropnicki.
1: I would like to be remembered as still living right now. I want to talk to you young lady about the Hall of Fame. Wait a minute. I was there. I went to the Hall of Fame. I actually met Pete Rose signing at that Contra signing he does. Hall of Fame weekend. Anyway, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Just put him in. Put an asterisk if you want on the plaque. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. Thank you. Keep in touch.
3: My thing with Pete Rose, first of all, it's funny that he has an event in Cooperstown I was just going to say,
0: that is the most Pete Rose thing ever to have. How did Jerry put it? A Contra signing event. That's so fucking funny.
3: My thing with Pete Rose, and we all know how I feel about PEDs and and rule breaking or bending or whatever. Um, Those guys should be in, put whatever you want, an asterisk on their plaques. I get it. With Pete Rose, there has been one rule that MLB has been steadfast in applying and and steadfast in punishment for anyone that breaks it since, literally since 1919 when the Black Sox scandal happened. Next year they knew that, the owners back then knew that if gamblers and and bookies were to get their claws into the league, it could seriously affect the integrity of the game on on a very very deep level that goes way beyond PED use or sign stealing. So Pete Rose had to follow one rule. That is literally the one rule that MLB does not stand for. It's on a sign in every single clubhouse that if you break this rule, you get banned for life from the sport. So with that being said, I don't think that the Hall should just let him in. I mean, the Hall doesn't have to adhere to MLB's rules that MLB can ban people or suspend people, but the Hall can elect whoever they want, that it doesn't then disqualify them because that's not really an MLB-affiliated museum, or I guess it's affiliated, but it's not owned by MLB. So they don't have to adhere to it, but they've decided to adhere to it because you had one rule, Pete, one rule to follow. The, the BBWAA will they'll overlook domestic abuse. They'll overlook uh, pedophilia. They'll overlook drug use. They'll overlook sign stealing but they will not overlook betting on baseball they won't do it
0: i have very mixed feelings on this because my gut currently does and always has told me that pete rose is a hall of famer and i do think that in a vacuum some of those other things are worse like domestic abuse and and things like you know um so i i struggle with and somebody please correct me if i'm wrong here um as i understand it. And I feel like I'm making excuses for him. The betting came when he was a manager, and he did not bet on his team to lose. Now, that's where it gets sticky for me because on the one hand, I feel like maybe that should count for something, but I understand too, as the league, that's a slippery slope. And you know I if, if you're gonna you know make it black and white, I, I, I kind of get that on that level.
3: And to be fair, this is like a bookie or and Pete Rose's word. So it's like, who? Right. Yeah. That's that's the other part
0: of it. Right. Right. Yeah.
3: And not to mention, like, he denied it for years, years. He, like, recently was like, okay, yeah, I did. But he denied it for decades. And now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I did it. Let me in the hall.
0: And, And you know what? I mean, it's one of those things where it, the character clause is, it's tough. You know, it's in some ways it's a subjective thing from not only case by case but you know person to person who you ask how serious a given offense is you know you could you could argue that it let's and i know this is a stretch let's let's say that we believe him that it was only as a manager and it was only for his team to win that could be a good example of well that doesn't affect what he did as a player at all he's a hall of fame player and these are all character issues that we're arguing about and again you got to you got to balance that Maybe this character issue isn't as grievous as some of the other things that the BBWA looks, (laughs) you know, overlooks. But then on the other hand, like you said, uh, baseball for, you know, for better or for worse, whatever you want to argue, they have been consistent about this. You have to give them that. And whether that's the hill to die on, I think, is the argument. But... It, it was no mystery to Pete at any point. We're like, well, is this okay? Can I get away with it? Like, no, you knew that you were doing something that was going to get you in trouble the whole time.
3: Yeah. At, at the end of the day, the hall of fame is a privilege. It's not a right. So these guys, they they make decisions and they have to live with them. Jerry, thank you so much for your call. And our final call is from Danny B.
4: Hello, uh, Danny B from Manchester. Uh, it was just to say uh, well done to John for the uh, the amazing job he did with the uh, the Britney Spears Robinson Crow song. <laughs> yeah, it was just awesome. Um, I'm also a musician, so I decided to write a little song of my own before Christmas. It's in keeping with the Hall of Fame theme, and it's a song entitled "A Case for Omar Vizquel." Now, I wrote half of this song before and half after the news broke about Omar's domestic violence issues, so it's a bit uneven. I've also tried and failed to record this on a previous voicemail, so I thought I'd send the song to Mr. Bingington separately. So, uh, DJ, uh, spin that record.
2: Well, he is the king of the swingers, boy, the baseball MVP. He reached the top, he played shortstop, it's my boy, oh If you look at his home runs, okay, things are looking a little sparse. But put him in a fight, one-on-one, he'll kick Jose Mesa's ass. So whoopee-doo, most hits by a shortstop, well, he's number two. But you just got to love those eleven gold gloves oh, oh. So if you don't like Omar Vizquel Then you're going to the special hell Because he should be in Cooperstown too The guy was still in beast mode for his 2800th hit Most of the guys are nowhere near On their heads he does shit had a different end to this last verse before the news today I heard. But there's no excuse for that domestic abuse, you pathetic little turd. So, would be do, career batting average yeah, 272, not bad. But you might still love those lemon gold gloves. Oh, oh, oh. And if it's true about Omar Vizquel well then he's going to the special hell that he might not be ah, ah. Yeah, he might not be a Hall of Famer baseball person
3: Wow. Bravo. Bravo. That was fucking awesome. I laugh every... This is not the first time I've heard it, as I'm sure everyone can imagine. And <laughs> I laugh out loud every single time I do. And I was singing along this time too. It's fucking amazing.
0: Danny, I got f- from a music perspective, bro, especially the uh, the stops. And then where you talk about like, you know, his like batting average and stuff. The comedic timing is outstanding. And you have a fantastic voice, man. Well fucking done, Danny. Well done.
3: Well, I... Even before the domestic abuse allegations came out, I still wouldn't agree that he's a Hall of Famer, but that song is a Hall of Fame song. Get that into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Danny, thank you so much for that awesome voicemail and awesome song. And thank you to all of our callers. You guys are amazing. Keep it coming. Anyone else listening, you want to get in on the fun, give the Breaking Balls Hotline a call. 631-820-7377. So to close out the show... Considering it is our New Year's episode, John and I decided to do a top three New Year's resolutions as a fan. What do we want to better ourselves?
2: Learn English. Learn
3: English. I will first do it with forming a sentence because that one was a little clunky, but John, (laughs) I'll let you take it away. What was your number three?
0: All right. So my number three is about statistics. As you know, I talk maybe even too often. No, not too often. Just the right amount about how I'm you know, on the journey of learning more and more about advanced statistics. And by the time the regular season starts up, I mean, well, who knows if we're going to get it in April, but by the time it does start up, I'll have been on this podcast for close to a year, if not over a year. And in that time, I've really, I feel as if I've come a long way especially with advanced statistics and my understanding of them. I'm by no means an expert, but I feel like I'm at least conversational in them. And so one of my goals for this coming season is I want to apply those in and of themselves. You know what I mean? I spent a lot of last year kind of gauging myself uh, and comparing them with traditional stats to kind of get my feet wet and get into it. And I feel like I'm at a place where I can think more contextually and in real time in advanced stats. So that's one of my goals with your help and with Max's help is to try and view the coming season more so through that lens than I have in the past.
3: My number three is basically the same, different side of the same coin. That I I admittedly don't know much about pitching in terms of mechanics, and certainly I don't know much about pitching in terms of advanced statistics. So In 2021, I really want to focus a little bit more on pitching and be able to be a little bit more well-versed and feel more comfortable discussing it on this pod and online and with just with other fans. So that's one of my goals for this year. What was your number two?
0: So my number two uh, ties into my number three. It's simply to watch more baseball games and specifically more non-Mets games. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to be watching every single Mets game that I possibly can. But I found that in previous years, my, not even interest level, but just the amount that I've watched other teams play ebbs and flows over the course of the season. really Really excited in the beginning. And then by the time it's like late May, I'm just watching Mets games. I want to make a concerted effort to make my way around the league more this year. Because again, that's only going to add to the context of all the statistics and stuff that I'm talking about. And we can always understand this game better. And the more that you watch it, especially not your team, I feel, because there's, there's a, you know, there's an amount of homerism and thinking about things differently. Just being an impartial viewer to more baseball games is something that I want to get more into in 2021.
3: My number two is I'm going to try emphasis on try to go a little bit easier on homer Yankee fans. I don't want to be as much of a jerk as I feel like I have been in the past, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. So this year I'm going to make a concerted effort to listen to their perspectives and, and not be as dismissive as I have of some in the past.
0: And how long do you give yourself on that one?
3: Probably not by the, by the time this episode is released, I'll probably have already done it. That is correct.
0: Okay. That checks out. (laughs) Um, So uh, my number one is... Pacienza y fe, right? A little patience and faith. No, seriously, patience is my number one. Um, and I feel that, that that has many meanings. In an immediate sense, before I can even start watching more games and applying statistics to them, we talked about the offseason, a little patience with the offseason. That's one thing I want to start right away is, as you all should, taking a breath and having a little bit of patience, a little bit of trust in the process, right? and a a big part of that is appreciating the game's very existence 2020 showed us that baseball is not a sure thing to happen you know we're lucky that we got the 60 games that we did last year so to appreciate whatever games we do get and more specifically with the Mets a little patience in terms of it's all very exciting with the new ownership new GM you know whatever transactions are coming this offseason a little bit of patience not flipping out if the Mets don't win the World Series this year you know maybe if they don't win in three to five years I'll flip out but you know Let's enjoy this year for what it's coming, for what it is. Take it one day at a time. And I want to try and approach the season with some patience.
3: That's a fantastic one because that is literally the name of this game. This baseball is all about patience as a hitter, as a, a pitcher, as a player in your development, as a fan watching and what you're expecting from your team. It's all about having patience because the bigger picture is really what you're waiting for. So you don't want to get too mixed up in the minutiae and then get frustrated. So I love that one, John. My number one is to watch more Central teams. I have shit on the Central in the past, and it's mainly because I never watch them, because it's too close to Eastern Standard Time, and by the time the Yankee games are over or the Mets games are over, their games are almost over, so I just go right to West Coast games. This year... And thanks in part to Quinn, one of our listeners who is a a lifelong Cardinals fan. I feel I I owe it to our central fans and our central listeners to pay attention to their divisions and, and give their teams a shot. So this is the year. That about wraps it up for Breaking Balls this week. We wanna wish all of our listeners a very happy new year and thank you for all of the support in 2020. We cannot wait to bring you even better content in 2021. And anyone listening, if you wanna get in on the fun, play a little song for us on the voicemail, or just leave us an opinion, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. You can also find us on Twitter at Break Balls Pod, And you can also find our amazing producer and engineer, DJ Bidgeton, on Twitter as well. At DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys next week. Mr. Meena on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you wanna hurt something. I can take it.